I'm your host, Isaiah Copan. It's May 21, 2021, and this is Lift and Learn episode 36. In this episode, I'll be talking about exactly what a highly processed food is and the benefits of doing HIIT workouts. Before that, though, I'll talk a bit about what I've been up to lately, and that might include fitness-related topics, and it might not. If you want to follow me, your host, on Instagram, it's isaiah.copon, and you can also check out my website, isaiahcopon.com. The podcast is on Instagram, at Lift and Learn Podcast, on Twitter, at Lift and Learn Pod, and also on Facebook. You can just search Lift and Learn Podcast. With that being said, let's get into it. Alright, so this week I added even more into my daily routine when it comes to exercising and the whole fitness thing. I started back up with the workouts consistently again. So last week I added in my mobility work daily. And then my workouts were sporadic because of my shoulder and taking some precautions there. This week though, I was able to do my workouts or whatever without my shoulder bothering me much or at all. Shoulder presses I still can't do, but I can work on my anterior or the front of my shoulder with raises. I can do push-ups consistently now, but I am doing push-ups for my knees mostly right now. I've been doing these side planks as well, and for the past two weeks I needed extra support when using my left side of course, but this week I was actually able to do a few seconds where it was just uh, my left arm keeping me up, so... That's good to see that it is getting better and getting stronger. And it's starting to feel more stable now. But it's not where I want it to be at all, and it's almost, I think, five weeks now. So roughly halfway, because I think around 10 to 12 weeks, my shoulder should be feeling at least 80 or 90%, and then I'll figure out at that point if I need to do any other external work on it. Hopefully, no surgery required. And I mentioned it briefly last week, but I did get my first vaccine dose, and I got Zephyza vaccine. I'll be getting my second dose in early September, so it's about three to four months between doses. Now, in the USA, they're doing the doses three weeks apart, which is what the company suggests. But I think Canada is doing them more spread apart because we're getting our vaccine shipments slowly since the U.S. was taking care of their own people first, which is understandable. But I also managed to read this week that actually delaying the second COVID vaccine shot could actually be a good thing. So Canada might have been a little bit lucky with that one. I mean, the company said to get their doses three weeks apart, but... Apparently, when older people got their vaccine doses 11 to 12 weeks apart instead of what the company suggested, which is three weeks, apparently, if you delay the second vaccine shot to 11 to 12 weeks apart, so what's that, like three to four months in between? Uh, Apparently, that boosts your immune response, and that also meant that those patients had higher peak antibody levels 
compared to those who got their doses three weeks apart. And that was a pretty interesting study I read earlier this week. So Canada's plan is to at least get most of the population their first dose, since it does provide some resistance to COVID. So it's better for everyone to get at least one shot. It's better than no shot at all. And I think I also heard this week that Las Vegas plans to fully reopen to pre-COVID rules and regulations starting on July 1st. That'll be interesting. But I do hope that they have enough vaccinated people in their population to make this one go smoothly. Hopefully, it's a sign of the end of the pandemic. And if you're listening to this on the first day the episode is released, that's the 21st, then just know that Ontario has decided to reopen some outdoor activities starting tomorrow, Saturday the 22nd. So that includes basketball and tennis courts and golf courses. And probably driving ranges too, I guess. I'm sure there's probably others, but those are the ones that seem like the most important to me. So I'm definitely going to spend some time at a ball court sometime this week. I should be able to lift my shoulder enough to at least shoot a few shots. So I guess it's time to work on that left-handed dribbling in the meantime. And anyways, on to sports talk. Since there's quite a bit since uh, the playoffs started in the NHL this week, and there were some important play-in NBA games too, and I've actually watched most of the games this week actually for both leagues, but we'll talk about NBA first. So Boston made it through by winning uh, their game, Memphis knocked out the Spurs, and the Lakers versus Golden State game happened, which... Obviously was the game to watch since it's LeBron versus Steph Curry. Uh, Like it's been for the past, I don't know what it seems like, eight years at this point. I don't even know anymore. That was the game to watch. Warriors pretty much handled the Lakers most of the game. But in the end, LeBron with less than a minute left nails a deep three with the shot clock expiring. And that was with 58 seconds left, I believe. And that ended up being the last points of the game. So another game winner for LeBron. So that means the Lakers will be playing Phoenix in the first round. And that one will be pretty interesting since the Suns kind of surprised everyone this year by coming in second in the West. They got some pretty good players on there. Chris Paul, Devin Booker, and DeAndre Ayton. So we'll see how that matchup goes. And I think this is the first time LeBron and Chris Paul are meeting uh, or playing each other in the playoffs. And I think that starts this weekend. Finals predictions? I'm going to go with Brooklyn in the East. I mean, I think they have too much star power on their team. Kyrie, Harden, Kevin Durant. Basically three players where you just have to pray the shot doesn't go in if you're playing against them. And it would be nice to see the Lakers in the finals because I really want to see LeBron and AD versus that team. But I think those injuries kind of hurt their chances. Maybe next year. And I want to say Denver will make it to the finals. But losing Jamal Murray, even though they have been playing pretty good without him. But I think he's a huge player in the playoffs. And they're going to be missing him even though they have the MVP, Nikola Jokic. I think I'll still go with the Nets winning the whole thing, which wouldn't be all that surprising because NBA uh, never really is with all of these super teams, but whatever. I think they'll beat the Lakers in the finals. 
I'm not betting against LeBron to will himself to another finals appearance. And on to hockey. So uh, their playoffs started last weekend, and the first few games actually went to overtime. I think it was the Capitals game. uh, Minnesota versus Vegas went to overtime, and even the first Penguins game went to overtime. Well, I watched most of the games this week, and let's talk about the Leafs first, since I'm actually recording this Thursday night and just finished watching Game 1. Yeah, they started off uh, on the wrong foot. Lost to the Canadians in Game 1, and I saw on CP24 that morning how hype everyone was for the Leafs game. It was like the first meeting between Toronto and Montreal in the playoffs since 1979. I think I got that year right. That's a pretty long time. And in the first period of the game, there was some tragedy on the Leafs side. Captain John Tavares took an accidental knee to the head and had to be stretchered off. That was a scary sight to see so early in the game. And then Montreal scored shortly after that happened, and it was pretty much downhill from there for the Leafs. They had some good power plays, but in the end, Montreal scored a beauty game winner in the third period. I don't know who it was, but this guy was like on a break, a partial break, and he like scored from his knees, which was insane. Other than that, Colorado looks really good. They're up two to nothing. I think Nathan McKinnon has like five goals in two games or something crazy like that. And Tampa Bay looks good too, now that they have Stamkos and Kucherov back, just in time for the playoffs. I swear the Lightning does this every year. Stamkos gets hurt during the year, and then they'll come back for the playoffs or even just the finals. I think when they played the Blackhawks in 2015, when they lost, Stamkos, uh, he didn't even play a game all year and then just miraculously shows up to play in the finals. Well, anyways, yeah, Tampa does look good this year, basically because their goalie, Vasilevsky, is a beast in that. Honestly, just him standing there, it looks like there's barely any room to even score. The guy just seems massive. And there was this one, uh, there's this one play I saw. There was like a scramble in front of the net, and this goalie did the splits to make the save. So, to have that mobility and size and quickness... Man, Tampa Bay has a good chance with him in net. For hockey, I think I'll go with Colorado versus... Mm, I was going to say the Bruins or the Pens, but... I don't know, maybe the Leafs? <laughs> oh my god, imagine if they made the finals. And just imagine how crazy everyone in Toronto would go if they lost in the cup final. You thought that Vancouver riot was bad. If the Leafs lost in the cup final this year, plus this pandemic and lockdown, which seems to like never end, that could just be a disaster for all of Toronto, to be honest. Everyone would just lose their minds. But uh, let me actually, um, I think it could be a Colorado versus Boston final, maybe. Colorado has a bunch of firepower, and I think Grubauer could be good enough to win. And Boston has been looking pretty good ever since they picked up Taylor Hall at the deadline, so we'll see. Even though they only won their last game because of the Capitals goalie basically gifting them a double overtime goal. Alright, so moving on from that, I actually went to Walmart this week for groceries. 
And every time I'm in one of those stores with groceries, but also an electronic section, I'll always go take a trip down to the electronic section. I rarely get anything though, I just look around. And like Costco, Walmart also had most of their aisles blocked off, except for whatever was deemed essential. So like food, uh, but also makeup for some reason. Anyways, the electronic section and aisles were actually closed, but I could actually see into the glass where the PS5 stuff was. And I've been looking for the DualSense controller charging dock, and I actually saw it through the glass, but like I said, the aisle's blocked, so I can't even go get it. It was like within arm's reach too, but just locked behind in glass, and it was like it was taunting me. So when I got home from the groceries, I again looked online to see if I could find it near me. Nope, not on Amazon, not even Walmart had it apparently, even though I literally saw one. They really just couldn't deliver that to me like a curbside pickup. Uh, whatever. I didn't find it on Amazon or Walmart's website or Best Buy, but I actually did find one at the source.ca. So shout out to them finally got my hands on the charging dock. Cost me $40 though, so that's kind of an expensive accessory just to charge two controllers at once without a cable or whatever. I got it delivered a few days ago, but I didn't open it yet since I only have one controller right now. But earlier this week actually, Sony finally revealed and put up the pre-orders for two new colors to the controllers. There's finally a black one, which is nice, but... They also showed off a cosmic red controller which looks absolutely sexy. I checked the prices and the red one for some reason costs $5 more than the black and white controllers. They really had to raise the price just because that's their first actual colored controller. Come on man. But yeah, I really want one of those. But I don't even feel the need to get another controller right now because it's not like I'm playing my PS5 with anyone anyway. so. Seems pointless to spend another $100 on a controller, but when I do need one, I'm copping that red one for sure. And before I get into the fitness topics for today, I want to talk about plastics. Now, this isn't necessarily a typical fitness topic, but nonetheless, it has to do with health, which is still a huge part of what I do. So this week I was online and I don't remember how it started exactly, but somehow I ended up having multiple tabs open regarding these microplastics. A lot of people don't actually know this, but it's been starting to gain a bit of traction in the media lately. And that's because we now know after a few decades how bad plastics are for the environment and even for our own health. A little history in case you didn't know. Plastics were made in the 1800s, but didn't really start to become mainstream until the 1900s. They were used to be a cheap item they could materialize everything with. You can do anything with plastic. You can mass manufacture pretty much anything, so cars, Ziploc bags, you can make grocery bags, uh, you can make toys, whatever. Remember when you watched old movies with a person who's bagging their groceries and it's usually a brown bag? That's because uh, before plastics were around, which is pretty recent when it comes to human history, 
So before plastics were around, they used brown paper bags, which are great because they're biodegradable and easier to recycle, so they're actually better for the environment. Anyways, uh, plastic uh, was invented so we could mass manufacture or whatever we felt like. Everything can be made with plastic, and it's cheap. So this man-made plastic has now been with us for, what, maybe the past 80 years or whatever? Since it didn't truly become mass-produced until the 1950s. Well, now plastics have been shown to have negative effects on the environment. And we've seen that before with that plastic, you know that plastic thing that holds like six cans of Coke together or whatever? We've probably all seen that picture or some video with an animal having that thing around their neck. And it's a sad thing to see. Recycling hasn't worked when it comes to plastics, and some experts are saying that not even 10% of the world's plastics are being recycled. And even then, they're not infinitely recyclable, so eventually they will find their way into the trash one way or another. And since they're not biodegradable, that becomes a huge problem, and they'll eventually find their way into the environment. So we already know about those impacts, but... It actually goes a lot further than that. Microplastics have become a growing problem affecting more and more things these days. Remember, it's not biodegradable, so it's going to take possibly thousands of years for it to break down. And that means more chances that humans or animals are going to ingest these, which is going to cause problems. It's been found in fish's stomachs over the past few years. I've seen pictures and videos of that, and if a fish is eating that, that's obviously going to find its way up the food chain. The impact this has been shown to have on a person now is just growing, what seems like every week or so with the new research coming in. And I don't want to scare people out there, but it needs to be said that these microplastics have even been found to be in women's placenta, like while the baby is still growing inside. And then that baby possibly has microplastics in them to start their life since uh, those pieces, they're small enough to get into the bloodstream and the possible problems that could cause. And we don't know exactly what health concerns entirely that these uh, microplastics have on the human body, but I think I read it has something to do with how plastics get in the way of how endocrine is produced in the body, which could lead to a bunch of health issues. I even came across another study that's pointing to a link between microplastics and male sperm counts. Sperm counts have been going down the past few decades, and microplastics could be at least partly to blame. There was even some research on earthworms, I think it was, and even if the soil is f just filled with uh, microplastics, which is pretty common these days, those earthworms would actually be smaller and have a lighter weight to them on average as opposed to ones that grow and live in healthy soil without it. And Canada has just announced a war on plastics this week. Canada just said this week that they've declared plastic to be toxic, under CEPA, C-E-P-A, which is the Canadian Environmental Protection Act. So this was actually in Canada's National Observer, and I actually have the article here, so I'll just read some of the highlighted paragraphs for you. About 3.3 million metric tons of plastic is discarded in Canada each year, and less than 
about 305,000 metric tons, is recycled. The remainder goes to landfills, incineration, or leaks into rivers, lakes, and oceans, according to a 2019 study commissioned by Environment and Climate Change Canada, ECCC. A 2020 government science assessment found ample evidence that plastic harms the environment, choking seabirds, cetaceans, so how do I say that one, and other wildlife. The findings form the basis of the government's decision, as substances can be considered toxic under SEPA if they harm the environment and biodiversity, human health, or both. In October 2020, ECCC released a proposal to deal with the problem. Under the proposed rules, Canada will ban six single-use plastic items, like straws and six-pack rings. Oh, I talked about that earlier. Create incentives for companies to use recycled plastic and force plastic producers to pay for recycling. I think the days of waiting for recycling to work are over, said Karen Wersig, Program Manager for Environmental Defense. She also says, We need to reduce the amount of plastic that gets put on the market and therefore into the environment we need to find alternatives to plastics in many cases. So it's good to see that Canada has realized the harm that plastics are doing to the environment and us, and it looks like they're making an effort despite the plastic companies trying to fight this one. 20 companies worldwide are actually responsible for more than half of all the plastic waste in the world, which is insane. I think ExxonMobil topped the list there. The bottom line is that it's going to be impossible to just stop using or it's going to be impossible to avoid plastics altogether. But those single use items like cups or bottles, that's at least something you can probably control within your life. So just try to make an effort for yourself and the environment. If you're still drinking the majority of your water from a plastic bottle, just stop it. Go out and buy one that you could just fill up throughout the day. And that'll reduce your possible consumption and, I guess, pollution as well. And if you're still eating out of those plastic Tupperwares like I did back when I went to school, those cheap Tupperwares, those plastic ones where you just can't get that orange residue out from the pasta you ate, yeah, if you're still eating out of those, toss that out right now and get some glass ones. They're going to be a lot safer to eat from, and you're not going to be consuming those microplastics, which will get into the food if you put those in the microwave. Topic 1. What's a highly processed food? First of all, highly processed foods do have great benefits, even though it's significantly contributed to the rise in obesity over the past few decades. Us humans, or we humans... Okay, us humans makes more sense. So, uh, humans, we made these processed foods because there's over 6 billion people in the world now who need to eat. And to advance society, we needed to figure out a way to feed everyone, as opposed to doing what our ancestors had to do, which was hunt down animals for food or have a farm or whatever. There's no way we're able to farm and make so much natural or whole food to feed us all at this point. There's too many of us on this planet. So we made highly processed foods because we needed to spend our time doing other things, like I said. Making money for growing families or just advancing society. 
So, some form of processed foods. I think it was flour or something that's that's been around for thousands of years, but the actual highly or ultra-processed foods, like snacks and stuff, wasn't available until just about a hundred years ago. So, humans have existed for around 200,000 years, I think, according to the scientists, but processed foods have only been around for just a hundred years. Take that in. And the huge boom when it came to processed foods was because of World War I and II in the early 1900s, basically because we needed to find a way to feed all those troops who were on the front lines. And all foods these days do go through some sort of process in order to get to the shelves so that they have some sort of uh, shelf life as opposed to just expiring in a few days. But I'm mainly talking about highly processed foods and that can include your microwave dinners and snacks that have high amounts of sodium, sugars, and saturated fat. That means things like the majority of carbonated drinks, coke or whatever, chocolates, candies, chips, cereals. Oh, there's actually some accidental alliteration there. Uh, what else starts with a C? Cheese? Cheese Whiz? I had that growing up on plain white bread. That was my idea of a snack. Oh, cookies is another C one. And I think it would be a good idea to put fast food in this category too. So basically, highly processed foods are those microwave dinners, those snacks I just mentioned, and fast food. And there's many forms of it. They're loaded with salt and sodium and added sugars. Like I said though, pretty much all of our food is processed in some sort of way. And there are some benefits to having it because... You can actually find products and foods with more calcium or more vitamins or food that's fortified with something. And you could even add fiber to foods. And I know what you're saying. Okay, what's the point of knowing all of this? What's so bad about highly processed foods? Well, the snacks and pre-cooked meals, those types of processed foods are going to lead to unhealthy habits and just to you being unhealthy overall. Abusing these foods could lead to high blood pressure or heart disease, type 2 diabetes. It's pretty clear that it could lead to obesity since they're so tasty and so addicting. And overconsumption of these foods containing high sugars, saturated fats, added salt, could, and more cases than not, will lead to some health issues. These highly processed foods are more of a problem when it comes to chronic diseases like diabetes because they usually contain such a high amount of sugar in them. That's why it's best to avoid these types of foods first before you go around and start cutting uh, down on whole carb sources like rice and pasta and things of that nature. And that's why it's best to keep away from snacks that are more highly processed. There's a time and place for them. For the most part, your health should be fine as long as your highly processed food intake is, I think, around less than 20% of your diet throughout the week. It's where you start to get into 50% territory where it becomes a problem, especially if you repeat that type of diet or habit for years and years. The thing is, I love snacks, and there's no way I'd cut it out of my life completely if you just solely restrict and cut out those types of foods, cold turkey, it's going to make the whole weight loss or fitness journey, more times than not, the journey is going to be more difficult for you. 
That's why I always say it's best to just implement these little habits slowly in your life. Snacks I like to have personally are Aero chocolate, Bueno ice cream, and if you really know me, then you know Krispy Kreme and Cinnabon are probably the best things ever. I don't restrict myself from having them all the time, though. There's a time and place for it. The problem's going to be uh, if I'm eating them all in one day, and that's going to be even worse if I do that for multiple days in a row. And I used to be the guy who'd get two boxes of Krispy Kreme and finish that in one to three days, but obviously I know now how that could create a bad habit, especially for me with the way I grew up. And I might still go down to Krispy Kreme one of these days and grab a dozen to eat, just because, like I said, there's a time and place. You'll probably still need processed foods and foods you enjoy from time to time just to keep your sanity, especially when it comes to weight loss. Because no matter how you put it, that's a form of starvation. You're in a state where you're starving yourself from getting enough foods in order to lose weight. That's what a calorie deficit is. With anything in life, and especially when it comes to staying healthy, it's all about balance. Don't take everything I said here and just cut out highly processed foods completely, but just be mindful of what you're eating and if you're eating a lot of it. It'll be best to slowly reduce how much you're taking in. If you're already diabetic, then maybe you'll have to cut out more than someone else does, so this is going to be pretty dependent on your health goals and how healthy you are currently. I eat highly processed foods at times. Like I said, I love Bueno since that's like the adult version of the Kinder Surprise, basically. I love Hershey's Cookies and Cream. Trust me, I have a sweet tooth, and that's pretty much what my diet consisted of growing up. Cereals and chips in front of the PlayStation 1. Alright, so to sum it up. Highly processed foods can be abused and could lead to a bunch of health problems if you overconsume them. There are some good forms of processed foods out there, but I'm mainly talking about these foods that could include things like pre-cooked dinners, those snacks and chips and chocolates, so it's best to cut down on your consumption of those items if you want to look better, think better, to feel better, and to just be healthier overall. Topic 2. Why HIIT workouts can be great for you. I talked about this one in episode 25, and that was more about if you should do HIIT to lose weight. The summary for that episode was that it can help you with weight loss if you're able to perform HIIT exercises and routines properly, but it's not necessary. But still, the fact that it could help with weight loss is a positive factor, and why HIIT can be great and benefits you in multiple ways. And HIT is also great when it comes to the amount of time it can take. Now me, I still prefer doing lists when it comes to cardio, which is low intensity steady state, so that may mean something like 30 to 40 minutes of doing the Stairmaster or treadmill nice and easy, but if you're short on time or don't have that much time, then HIT could be something to look into. Now, I don't really advise it if you're new to the gym, because at the end of the day, it is more difficult to do than slower cardio. And let's face it, that's going to put more pressure on your joints, because these are going to be movements where you're working harder or faster. 
And with hit exercises, the rest times can be pretty short or none at all, so that's going to be more intensive a workout. If you feel like you're ready to do hit routines, then this is one that could save a lot of time for you because instead of doing that 30-minute list cardio session and taking it easy, you can do something like a 5-10 to 10 minute hit cardio session that involves some running, maybe 15-30 to 30 seconds of a run, followed by either a complete rest or a slower kind of walk for about 2 minutes or so. And then you basically just repeat that for as many cycles as you like, maybe something like 5 intervals or something like that, for example. This could save a lot of time because you could be burning 200 calories in that 12 or 10 minute hit session as opposed to burning the same 200 calories in a 30 or 40 minute list cardio session or a slower state. So like I said, if you're pressed for time, then hit could be a good way to do cardio or to train because it'll save you time. Another reason why HIT can be great is because if you're able to do HIT workouts and routines, then it could be a good way to lose fat while also not losing or actually maintaining and possibly growing your muscle mass as well. Now HIT is high intensity interval training, I said that before, and LIS is low intensity steady state. So how can you lose fat but maintain your muscle mass by doing HIT? So when it comes to uh, doing your cardio, let's say you're on the treadmill. If you're on a low speed and no incline or something like that and go on for a half hour or an hour at a time at a slow pace, then that's considered low intensity steady state cardio. And you'll be doing, uh, sorry, you'll be able to burn fat doing this since you're moving and walking off the calories. But the thing is, you're also going to be losing a bit of muscle here as well since it's not something that challenges your muscles, so you're not really working that hard if you're walking at a slow pace. But if you're on a treadmill doing HIT, high intensity interval training, so something like running for 30 seconds, walking for a minute, and repeated that a few times over, again, you're burning calories, burning body fat, but you're actually also maintaining or building muscle at the same time as well. If you compare walking and sprinting, I think it's pretty obvious that sprinting is going to be more taxing on your body. And since it's more demanding, you're going to be requiring all types of muscle fibers, slow twitch and fast twitch, in order for you to push through that big burst where you need to go hard. Now, I don't mean you're going to gain massive thighs and glutes and a solid leg foundation, but that might be possible if you're genetically gifted. So don't expect to get huge legs just because you do HIT on the treadmill. So HIT routines could help you lose body fat and maintain or build a tiny bit of muscle at the same time. So that's a pretty awesome benefit uh, when it comes to those types of workouts. I mean, just look at the legs of Olympic runners to see a kind of extreme comparison. Again, I'm not saying you're going to be an athlete all of a sudden because you do HIT workouts on a treadmill. But just look at the sprinter's legs compared to the long-distance runner's legs. Those guys who run 100 or 200 meter sprints have massive legs. And those guys who run over 800 meters or marathon runners, they're usually pretty slim, slim legs and bodies since their body has adapted to run their respective races. 
Another reason why hit can be great is something called the afterburn effect. I talked about this before, epoch, which is when your metabolism is kicked up or you're burning more calories even after you've finished working out because of your muscles working hard, basically. When you're doing your slow, steady-state cardio, there isn't much rise when it comes to your metabolism. It's usually just the typical 200 or 300 calories per session that you do. So we already know when you resistance train, your metabolism spikes or increases for a few hours after exercising. So let's say you typically burn 50 calories per hour just doing nothing. When you're exercising, you're burning off those 200 calories and then after the workout, while you're recovering, your resting metabolism may actually be increased for a few hours afterwards. That means instead of burning your typical 50 calories per hour while doing nothing, maybe now you're burning 60 to 75 calories per hour as your body goes through its recovery process. While that same effect that happens from resistance training, EPOC, also seems to happen when you're doing HIIT training as well. That means after your training session is over, your metabolism will be increased for a few hours afterwards because, again, you're stimulating your muscles to work harder and your body is going to have to work harder to recover from what you did. The thing with HIIT is that it might have all of these benefits that I just mentioned, but you have to be in pretty good shape to do HIIT workouts properly. I don't suggest doing HIIT routines if you're new to working out, especially if you're a beginner or if you're overweight. The impact alone will be rough on your joints, and HIIT routines are actually really difficult to do and difficult to do properly. But if you can do HIIT workouts and you're someone who says they're busy all the time, then it could be time to try it out. It'll save you time, and you could possibly lose body fat and gain muscle at the same time, because of the increased intensity and shorter duration of the workouts. And that concludes episode 36 of the podcast. Thank you for listening. If you really enjoyed the episode or my podcast as a whole, then please leave a review and comment on iTunes or whatever your choice of podcast platform is. Also, if you haven't already, you should hit that subscribe button because I'll be releasing episodes every Friday. If you want to follow me, your host, I'm Isaiah.Copon on Instagram, and you can also check out my website, IsaiahCopon.com. If you want to follow the podcast, you can check out at Lift and Learn Podcast on Instagram, and there's also a Facebook page if you just search Lift and Learn Podcast. Again, thanks for listening, and be sure to tune in next week with another episode where I'll be talking about if you should cut out sugar completely in your diet. And I'll talk about some wearable technology that could help you in your fitness journey as we continue on in this pandemic.